Everyone, remain calm. Yeah, ooh, ah, that's how it always starts. And later there's running and screaming. Somebody talk to me, what is happening? Welcome to Jurassic World. You're listening to the Jurassic Park Podcast. You want to consult here or in my bungalow? <laughs> Hold on to your butt. Well, we're back. Hello and welcome to the 82nd episode of the Jurassic Park Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Jost, and we're here to discuss all things Jurassic Park. In this episode, we have a little bit of news to cover, and a great chat with Sabrina and Garrett from I Know Dino about their trip out to the 2016 SVP conference. We recorded that at the beginning of December, so if it doesn't really reflect the state of 2017, that's why. We did have a great discussion about dinosaur findings and more, so you won't want to miss it. I gotta give a huge shout out to Ted Brothers, a uh, toy customizer, drummer, all around awesome dude, who you may have seen over on his Instagram. He actually sent me a Hasbro Indominus Rex that he repainted and customized with a base stand from scratch. I mean, it's insane. I, I totally appreciate this and uh, I've been posting videos about it, pictures over on all our social medias. So go check it out. See all the amazing work he put into this thing. And uh, he actually made a Hasbro toy look really, really amazing. Um, and, uh, you know, man, it was such a generous gift. I really appreciate it. Go check out all of his work over on Instagram, at Ted Brothers. And uh, we did post a little summary of his work on our website recently in the Community Focus segment. Um, I'll also include another link to that in our show notes. But I'll also be posting the Indominus Rex repaint on our website this week, so stay tuned. Thanks, Ted. Just a few more show notes before we get started. Uh, This week I am on two different podcasts. I mentioned the first one last week, Creativity Talks. I joined host Martin Bell to talk about the Jurassic fandom, the movies, and how my love for the series began. Martin puts out a really great podcast, so give it a listen, a five-star review, and share it around. I was also on Grim Grinning Hosts again this week. We actually talked about a really wide range of topics. Um, From our three favorite films of 2016, our top five animated film songs from Disney, and our top five theme park attraction songs. It was another really long episode. It's full of great stuff that you surely won't want to miss. Don't forget we have a special promo code available to listeners of the podcast to use at Jurassic World The Exhibition. Head to fi.edu or call the museum at 215-448-1200 to purchase tickets and use the code JWGENER to get $5 off daytime adult admission tickets to Jurassic World The Exhibition. Now this is limit to four tickets per person. It does include general admission to the Franklin Institute, but it cannot be combined with any other offer or discount. Upgrades are available on site for the IMAX and 3D theaters. It is redeemable online, over the phone, or at the ticketing desk. Processing fees do apply when ordering in advance. It does exclude holidays, but guys, it is valid through 4-19-17, all the way into April. That's awesome. Thanks again for the promo code, Franklin Institute. It is J-W-G-E-N-E-R. Use it and let us know when you do. All right, sorry about that long intro. There's just way too much great stuff to cover. But now, let's get this episode started off with a bit of Jurassic news from around the world. Eighteen minutes. 
this and your company catches up on 10 years of research. Access mainframe. Access new security. These pictures were taken in hospital in Costa Rica 48 hours ago. I don't want to jump to any conclusions, but look. Boy, my head been right all the time. But today, I guarantee it. Last week saw the reveal of Mondo's newest releases with a Jurassic Park T-Rex poster from the point of view of Lex and Tim inside the vehicle, an Indominus Rex infograph poster revealing all the combinations of DNA and the five-piece pin set featuring the paddock logos for each dinosaur from the first film. Now, as of this recording, I believe the Rex poster is sold out, but it seems like the Indominus Rex poster is still there along with the variant, and they are available for $45 and $65 respectively and the pin set is still available for $40 for all five or it's $10 individually now they have the t-rex the triceratops the velociraptor dilophosaurus and the brachiosaurus paddock signs head to our show notes to see the items and find the links to make your purchase Thanks to at Chris Likes Dino across all his social media for the heads up this week about the Chronicle Collectibles reveal of the brand new item that they've been working on. Um, now I'm sure you already know about Chronicle. They create high quality statues and maquettes. But last week they revealed that they are working on the battle scene from the end of Jurassic World featuring the Indominus Rex, the T-Rex, and Blue. So far it looks like it's shaping up to be a really, really awesome piece. Uh, probably with the best part featuring Blue leaping off Rex's back towards the Indominus. I really love that touch. Apparently the scale of this thing is going to be very big, so I really can't wait to see the final scale. For now they just show you a smaller scale, but it really looks super detailed. Um, head over to their Facebook page to watch that live stream from the other day, showing off their upcoming slate featuring Owen in blue, the Crash McCreary Baby Raptor designs, and uh, there's so many other properties that they're working on. Head to the link in our show notes to find the live stream on their Facebook. <laughs> It's Omar C's birthday this week, Friday, January 20th. Happy birthday to Barry from Jurassic World. Hopefully we get to see you again in another installment of the film series. Oh, there it is. There it is. The closest you will ever come to living dinosaurs. Jurassic World, the exhibition. Now open at the Franklin Institute. Based on one of the biggest blockbusters in cinema history. Don't miss this awe-inspiring event for the whole family. Only at the Franklin Institute. For tickets, visit fi.edu. And remember, if something chases you, run! Let's open up the doors to the Visitor's Center, where I chat with Sabrina and Garrett from I Know Dino about their trip out to the 2016 SVP Conference and more. This week, I'm joined again by Sabrina and Garrett from I Know Dino, the big dinosaur podcast. And uh, guys, what? I think this is episode number three that you, you've done with us. And uh, we haven't recorded for basically a year or so, which is absolutely <laughs> crazy to me. I, I, I can't believe it's been that long. How, yeah. how have you uh, both been over the past year? We've been good. We did a big dinosaur road trip and we went to SVP and wow, did, lots of traveling this year. Did some other dinosaur stuff. Our first dinosaur dig. Oh, yeah, oh, man. Wow. It's been <laughs> exciting. Like, I, you know, I, I follow your podcast every week and, and it sounds like you guys are getting some amazing guests and, you know, going to these awesome places and really, really 
you know, diving deep into dinosaurs, and I absolutely love that, and I, I, I can't wait to listen every week. So if anybody's listening right now, definitely check out their podcast and uh, subscribe to it for, you know, before we get too far into this. Um, but um, like I said, I listen to every one of your episodes, but how has it been to record over the past year or so? I know you guys work really hard on your episodes what's it uh what's it been like it's i mean it's been good we got some new equipment which was nice and it's always everything's a slow improvement process <laughs> i think we finally found our groove too yeah, yeah. a little bit it, when you don't need to write down every single detail about what you're gonna say because in the <laughs> beginning it was we were constantly saying the wrong thing where we would say like scientists have proved something and then we'd realize, oh, we shouldn't say proved. It's really more like this guy has a hypothesis or whatever. Since we skew a little bit on the scientific end of things, we had to be really careful. But now we kind of are speaking the language a little bit better. We have interviews that are a little more More comfortable casual. with it, too. I remember our first episode, we were all giddy, like, oh, my gosh, I'm so nervous. And <laughs> what? Oh, no, we have to press record. <laughs> yeah. Worry, and we were worried about every little, you know, um and ah that we said in the podcast and now we just gotta you know, let it go it's fine <laughs> yeah I mean, yep. it's like it's tough because when you work on everything all yourself you know you're you're the one who has to do it so it's uh it's a lot to do in scheduling all these guests you guys always have like like legit you know dinosaur like people in the industry that know everything about it and uh, i'm always so impressed by that i mean you know sometimes that's the hardest part i think is getting guests so do you guys ever yeah. have an issue yeah. with that in the dinosaur field sometimes it takes a few months to get some of the guests because they're so busy like when we interviewed phil curry i think it took a couple months because he was in antarctica for six weeks and then doing some other stuff yeah he was like our our white whale we were trying to get him we wanted him so bad <laughs> <laughs> but eventually we snagged him our schedules aligned <laughs> and we could get him yeah but i think it helps that there's two of us because sometimes one of us is just like yeah pretty overwhelmed it's like no i need you to to figure out the interviews often the interview only has one of us in it for sure <laughs> but then yeah the other piece of it is we've had a pretty good uh like track record at actually getting the scientists to come on the show i was surprised in the beginning because we were reaching out to really big name paleontologists when we had zero track record hmm. but most of them are just so excited to talk about their work that they're happy to come on and talk to us so yeah it's a really good group of people really passionate yeah yeah and it's not like you're you're getting them on for like five minutes some of them are pretty long and, and really giving you some some awesome information i absolutely love that yeah thanks yes yeah, yeah no, garrett did one. Oh, sorry Sorry. go ahead go ahead no you... i was just gonna mention there's one time garrett was talking uh to a woman who was living in the uk and <laughs> I think he did it. It was. It ended up. You cut it down to an hour, but it was like a two-hour interview oh, from one to three a.m. our time. Oh yeah, because <laughs> the schedule. I really wanted to get that interview in for the next week, and since you know there's such a big time difference, I ended up doing one a.m. and it was a great interview, but it was like a little bit taxing on the on the old body. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, this is a little bit of behind the scenes for podcasting. It's <laughs> it's it's a rough job, but somebody's got to do it, you know. <laughs> Yeah. I, if you're gonna get a guest like that, you, you do kind of have to bend your rules and do things that you're not used to, and and maybe record from one to three. Like that's crazy, but but stuff we do to to, to get this stuff done, um, especially yep. if you're setting up somebody good. <laughs> um, so uh, one of the episodes I was listening to recently, uh, I think it was episode 105 of yours. 
Uh, you guys talked about the Chicxulub Crater. That is that. That's how you say that, right? I always look at that word and I'm yep. like, eh, is that right? I don't know how to speak that language. Yes, yeah, <laughs> whatever that is. <laughs> yeah, I always want to add extra consonants in it because it's C H I X U L U B. It's crazy, yeah. The... <laughs> I, you know, but, that, yeah. That uh, that whole place is not something that has been really on my radar until recently, um, for some reason, but. Um, it's actually really, really fascinating, and that's basically the ground zero, right, for for like possibly the death of dinosaurs, right? Yeah, and it's it's almost definitively the end of dinosaurs. Okay, this yeah. is one of the less controversial things. There's a little bit of controversy. I should probably put a caveat on that on <laughs> why it wiped out the dinosaurs. So we. The interesting thing about it is when the impactor hit, it apparently had some iridium in it because there's this layer of iridium all around the entire Earth at that strata. So like right in between the end of the Cretaceous and the beginning of the Paleogene. So it's that they used to call it the KT extinction, but now they call it the KPG boundary. Okay. Um, so anyway, you've got this layer of iridium and it's right at that point. And before that, if you go deeper you find tons of dinosaur bones. And if you go above that, there are none. So it's pretty clear that that <laughs> iridium so. layer... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great boundary. But there's a little bit of a question of, you know, were they already stressed because there was a bunch of volcanism going on? Or were, you know, vol other things aside from volcanoes stressing them, you know, global warming type stuff? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so... Not entirely sure what wiped them out, but it's pretty clear that that meteor was at least the final straw. <laughs> yeah, I liked how you guys were analyzing just how much of the Earth was on fire. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a fun question. There was a, a nova on it, and they showed basically the entire Earth being engulfed in flame. But when you're watching that, you're thinking, how is anything on land alive? Like, I could understand some marine life surviving. But, you know, not all the dinosaurs went extinct. That's why we have birds. So, mm -hmm. obviously, some land animals were alive. And if the entire planet is on fire, how does that work? <laughs> <laughs> I, I was thinking about that exact thing while listening. I'm like, yeah, where where did they all hide? Or how did they get by this, if that's the case? Uh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's tough to think about. I don't, I don't know. I mean, you guys came up with some ideas. But that's a tough situation to get past, being, being completely on fire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, maybe the smaller ones were like the ones that survived happened to be in a burrow or happened to be going for a swim or whatever, because you only need a few of them to survive in order to regenerate the population. But it's a pretty crazy scenario to be in, you know, potentially an entire planet of flames. <laughs> mm, yeah, that's nev never a good situation, really. Like, I wouldn't suggest it. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but no that if, that episode was really good. I, I think um, I think it was great to kind of hear somebody who's at the forefront of figuring out, you know, what happened during that period and and uh, why things went down the way they did. And maybe that was a pun or a play on words. I don't know, but um, but yeah, that was uh, that was a great episode. So if you're listening, definitely go check out that one. Uh, that was pretty recent too, right? I think. Yeah, yeah, I think it was just a couple of weeks ago. Like you said, 105 sounds about right. Yeah, yeah, it was 105. Nice. Yeah. Thanks. So what else have you guys been up to? I mean, you said you guys went out to SVP. Now, explain exactly what that is for us, um, you know, not-so-smart people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So SVP stands for the Society of Vertebrate Paleontology, and it's an organization that's 76 years old now, I think. The biggest thing that they do is they have an annual meeting. So SVP 2016 was in Salt Lake City, Utah, so we flew out there. And basically, it's a nonstop four-day thing that's just all vertebrate paleontology nonstop. There's usually three speakers going on at any one time. So even if you're there all four days, you can't, can't see everything. All, yeah. yeah, And it's just kind of this mecca of especially dinosaur enthusiasts because SVP, the founder of it, was a big dinosaur guy. And it's got its roots are in dinosaur paleontology. And even their logo is a marsh pick and then this cope vertebra. Yeah, from so, the Bone Wars. Yeah, so they're both oh, nice. big dinosaur paleontologists too. So it's like, I would say at least a quarter of the talks, maybe up to a third of them, were about dinosaurs specifically. So pretty yeah, well, much nonstop dinosaurs. It all kind of ties in though, right? I mean, it kind of tells us a little bit about where we've come from and where we're at today. So that's a, that's a pretty good, uh, good trade-off. Yeah, and... Even some, we went to some of the other talks too that were a little more general. Like they would talk about, you know, how plate tectonics were affecting different species. And they may not be just about dinosaurs, but they do have effects for even modern ecosystems. And you can kind of learn from what went extinct, what groups started thriving after certain changes, or what groups started suffering after other changes. And it's really cool. So do they actually have like a um, like dinosaur, you know, fossils or anything set up in there or wherever this is at? Is this at a big uh, conference center or museum? What, where is this at? It was at a hotel. Oh, wow. Was it okay, the uh, Grand America yeah. Hotel in, in Salt Lake, which I we heard was the fanciest hotel in the city. Yeah. <laughs> and we also heard from several people that it was the fanciest SVP they had ever been to that usually. Yeah. Don't expect this next year. Yeah. Uh, so was it true? Was it the fanciest hotel you've ever seen? It wasn't the fanciest one I've ever seen, <laughs> but it was very fancy. <laughs> it's interesting because it's a, it's a modern hotel, but they built it to make it look old. Okay. Yeah. Kind of like Rococo or something like that, where it's, intentionally looks a certain kind of fancy old style even though it's totally modern <laughs> yeah but that was good because then they had good wi-fi so that was useful. <laughs> it's always a plus <laughs> yeah but to answer your question about the fossils they did have um a couple of ceratopsian skulls around and utah is kind of known for some of the ceratopsians that have been found there and they also had one of the exhibitors, in, because you could exhibit there with a booth like you can at most conferences, mm -hmm. had set up an entire, what was it, a, was that a Dryptosaurus? I don't remember. What. Yeah, it was Dryptosaurus. So they had a, a whole theropod eating a herbivore, basically. Oh, nice. <laughs> and they were set up in such like a crazy... I don't know how accurate way. it was, though, because I overheard some people complaining how that's not how they would have set it up. <laughs> only well, yeah, there. I mean, yeah, only there. Though, I <laughs> yeah. So remember it was a dryosaurus. I don't know. I don't remember what the theropod was, but it was really cool. And then they also had a couple other fully articulated dinosaurs around. Um, it was really cool. But really, the biggest part for the fossils was <clears throat> was the day before 
the opening, they had a reception at the Utah Museum of Natural History. So that was just, you know, packed full of paleontologists. And, you know, they had the drinks were flowing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was really fun because you usually being a dinosaur enthusiast, Sabrina and I'd be walking through a museum and there'd be like a couple parents kind of talking to kids, trying to pronounce these words and getting a lot of details wrong and stuff. When you're walking through and it's jammed full of a thousand paleontologists, <laughs> oh, it's man. these detailed discussions about like the fenestra on the back <laughs> of a T-Rex head and like what that means for overall dinosaur evolution. And then anything not dinosaur related in the museum was empty. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we sure, to yeah. The, the top at one point and apparently the, and they were playing some music that you could only <laughs> hear in this one area. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a dinosaur focused crowd. <laughs> yeah, but, I could see that. It sounds like uh yeah, it sounds like the perfect space for you guys. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> and we got to meet a lot of really cool paleontologists, some of whom we've interviewed, but we never got to meet in person and others that we had never even gotten a chance to talk to before, which was really fun. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that's got to be awesome. I mean, yeah, you don't always get the chance to meet up and and, you know, have some FaceTime with some of these people. So that's uh I'm sure it was a great experience for that. Yep. It was great. Did you get to interview people like while you were there? Yeah, we interviewed uh, Dancher. Yeah, Dancher and Teabutu, who both worked on the Dinosaur National Monument Digital Quarry Project, which I don't know if you're familiar with Dan- Dinosaur National Monument, but it's this cliff that it's that's exposed in northeast Utah and I guess northwest Colorado. It's kind of on the border, mm-hmm. and it's also known as the Carnegie Quarry because. Carnegie discovered it back in what 1903 or something like that and didn't realize what he had found but it was basically one of the most complete sections of like paleontology you could imagine it's got a stegosaur it's got a diplodocus it's got a camarasaurus what a, it's got so many different dinosaurs and a lot of them are really well articulated a lot of the bones are in there So they decided at one point that they were going to stop excavating from the cliff and actually leave these bones in the cliff. Mm -hmm. And you can go there now and you can see all these bones sticking out of the rock. And you learn about them that way and how paleontology is actually done. It's really amazing. So they were digitizing that. Um, I think they started about a year or two ago. And you can go online and you can see the bones on the quarry face now and And click on them. Some information about it. Yeah, it's really cool. That's awesome. So you guys actually, did you, you got to go out to see this, right? We actually saw it a couple of years ago before we were okay. doing the podcast, but we got to interview them about it this time. Oh, that's right. And But you did get a chance to go and do uh, some field work and stuff, right? We didn't during SVP, but oh, earlier okay. in the year oh, we yeah, went on Oh, yeah, that's right. I, I remember you said earlier yeah, <laughs> at some point. What is that like, though? Yeah. How, how's that experience? <laughs> apparently garrett is very good at spotting fossils and i'm very bad i, I thought everything was a fossil and then they asked me <laughs> if i was colorblind I oh, no. <laughs> yeah yeah the interesting thing about fossils is apparently depending on where you are different minerals go into the fossils and it tends to make fossils a different color than the surrounding rock which is really handy yeah and the area we were in most of the fossils were kind of orange so but they can be any color they can be blue even they yeah there was like one blue one but most of them were orange so sabrina kept missing these obvious orange things and they would be like do you see anything right by your foot and then 
And she'd be like, no, I don't see anything. And they'd be like, it's really close to your foot. And she'd pick up something that was the wrong thing. Oh, but I was great at finding eggshells or eggshell fossils. Huh. Yeah. So after they kind of set us on this little um, morning part of it, it was a full day. So in the morning, they were basically just teaching you how to identify fossils. But then in the afternoon, they took us to a dinosaur nest that had been fossilized to actually help excavate. And Sabrina there found a couple of pieces of eggshell. Well, so the difference is the, the fossils are orange or different colors, and you're supposed to look at it in direct light to kind of see. And then with eggshells, though, the the fossilized eggshells are are black usually, and you're supposed to look at them in your shadow. Yep. And I just, for whatever reason, found that a lot easier. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> and with the fossils, too, they were all microfossils, so... It was kind of, it was on a dirt road. Actually, it was almost like a gravel road. So there were so many little pieces of rock everywhere mixed in with the fossil that it was really difficult. Whereas when we were excavating the eggshells from the fossil matrix, or from the uh, matrix, it was basically like chipping away mud. And then you'd find a little <laughs> black piece and you'd be like, oh, look, that's eggshell. <laughs> it's got to be so tedious to sit out there and do that, but you uh, you got to really love it, I'm sure, to uh, to get to experience something like that. Yeah, it was really fun. I don't know if we would want to do it all the time because it is very <laughs> tedious. Although one of the guys who we had two people out showing us around and you know real paleontologists teaching us what to do. One of them was like, I hate eggs I, and I hate eggshells and I hate nests because it's all these little tiny pieces <laughs> and it's such a mess to put back together. And yeah, we could we could feel that after a day of scraping with a toothpick to try to <laughs> find a little less than a square centimeter piece of eggshell. Well, I'm sure you're looking for like the next big find and then you, you know, you, you're just coming across eggshells and you're like, oh, come on, can't there be something a little bit cooler? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's still fun, though. It's oh, fun to I'm see sure. how. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that uh, it looked like SVP actually does have field trips, right? So they yeah. uh, allow people to kind of sign up for these trips and go out for a few hours of the day, right? Yeah, yeah. So they did one to Dinosaur National Monument uh -huh. where they kind of showed you the fossil wall. And then they also took you around the surrounding area. There are some other fossils sticking out and there's also some tracks and things that are oh, cool nice. to see yeah and then there's a place called thanksgiving point which is also near salt lake city it's a lot closer than we realized we actually probably would have gone if we had realized earlier how close it it's was like a half hour drive away yeah yeah and that one has quite a few fossils there and i forget what the other trips they had was Some that to of, saints and sinners or was that too far i'm not sure but yeah there are Utah has a lot of good dinosaur stuff, and last year they did the SVP was in Dallas, and there's not so much dinosaur stuff around there, so oh, this no. year it was kind of like they were making up for it with way more, I think it was the most ever of those field trips that they've ever done in yeah. a single SVP, so it's cool. Well, looks like uh, next one is in Calgary, Canada, so is there, do you know of anything, uh, any good sites out there for the next one? The biggest thing is what's known as the Badlands, and there are a bunch of dinosaur fossils there. And then also about two hours northeast from Calgary is uh, the Royal Tyrrell Museum, which is just this awesome museum that used to be a sponsor on our show, full disclosure. <laughs> um, but it is a really awesome museum. They are right in kind of like the thick, it's basically like the Dinosaur National Monument, but 
up in Canada, where it's right in the middle of the action. And then unlike Dinosaur National Monument, where the fossils that got excavated got shipped over to New York City and, you know, the Smithsonian, things like that, um, the fossils that they've excavated near the Royal Tyrrell Museum are still there. So you go in and you get to see these really awesome fossils. That's awesome. So, so you guys are going next time, right? Oh yeah, we'll be that, there. right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's we like are. from here on out, you're like, all right, we're going no matter I think, where. Yeah, this is our new annual trip. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be. <laughs> <laughs> no, from everything I've looked into this, sounds like there's a ton to do, and uh, a lot comes out of this, right? So you're you're not there just to kind of interact and do and you know see these exhibits and different things, but you're actually there to find out news and and hear about oh, the yeah. the research and stuff, right? Yeah, we were definitely there as press. We were nonstop tweeting and <laughs> Facebook posting. Note-taking. And note-taking. And on our show, every episode since then, we've been covering one thing in a little bit of depth from SVP because there were so many different topics. And it was actually really awesome because I was saying how usually it takes me about two hours to go through an article in like a peer-reviewed journal and figuring out all the details and you know what exactly they mean and what can be inferred from it and everything but in these talks it's 15 minutes they give you all the background they tell you what they expect to learn in the future and you're done and then another person comes up and does the exact same thing <laughs> and you do that for like seven hours so you get it's such an information overload but it's so wonderful there's oh also a lot of information like Sometimes they'd say, don't tweet this because it hasn't been published yet. Oh, that's true, too. So you get oh. some stuff uh, ahead of time. Yeah. That's nice. So do they give you a time frame when you're you know, allowed to, to mention it on your your podcast or something like that? Or if somebody I think has like asked, an article they probably would. Yeah? Yeah. Or it's just uh, eventually their paper will be published and mm -hmm. then kind of have to wait. Yeah. Sometimes they're not sure if it'll be published because it's still really a work in progress. Okay, yeah. Especially in the poster session, they might just have some preliminary findings, but they want to discuss it with other paleontologists and things. So they'll put up a poster and talk about it. Um, other times, like you say, it's like there's something coming out in nature next month and, you know, they have the exclusive license to be the first ones to publish it. So if you start tweeting about it, it's going to screw up <laughs> their <good>. deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dinosaur news is always a tough thing for me. Like anytime I look into stuff that's pop up, you know, pops up here and there, I never know like how accurate or how new it is or, you know, when it's from half the time I read the article and I'm like, oh, this is from like years ago. They found this years ago or this has been around yeah. forever. Like, so it is a tough uh, field to kind of research, I would say, definitely. So it must be nice to kind of have them lay it out for you straight ahead and just be like, this is the thing. This is how we did it. This is where we're at now. That that must be nice and, uh, you know, simple for you. It is wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> it is by far the best way to learn. I wish that every time there was a news story about dinosaurs, like there's this new one about dinosaur tail amber, I wish I could just call up the author, sit there for 15 minutes and watch them give a presentation on exactly <laughs> what they found and how it worked. <laughs> I know. And now you're just getting your like three paragraphs, half for summing up Jurassic Park and the other ones are, you know, talking about the actual find. And you're like, OK, I didn't really learn too much. <laughs> yeah. And you get the same quotes about how, you know, not all reptiles are dinosaurs and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, that that does bother me because like you go to find your information like, you know, a ton of times I, I have a hard time finding a good source. So I'm like. Mm -hmm. I'm just looking at whatever random website I'm, 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 you know, come ac uh, across, and 
like CNN, for instance, won't have that much information. It won't really go that in depth. Um, wh- where do you guys find like a good source, you know, uh, when you're researching stuff? So my number one goal is always to find the actual journal article if it's something scientific. So, you know, that's often nature. It's often PLOS One or the other PLOS journals. They've got several of them. Um, there's current biology. Yeah. There's a paleontologica. I forget the full name of that journal. There's basically a ton of different journals. Cretaceous research is one of them that pops up a fair amount. Um, so I like to go all the way to the source. And then even if you don't want to read the full article, sometimes they're behind paywalls anyway, but they'll have an abstract. Yeah. And the abstract is always better than using whatever summary that you find because a lot of times it's wrong like there was a recent one where a dinosaur was discovered in china and everybody was saying that it was found while like dynamiting something (laughs) and it might be a small point but they were actually using tnt and it bugs me (laughs) that everybody was getting that wrong and yeah well i think our our entire country or maybe even the world we're in a weird situation where fake news is everywhere and and it is hard to decipher. And a lot of times I do, you know, stop at Google news and, and have, have like a dinosaur section where I've devoted to finding news. And and half the time I'm like, I don't really trust any of that stuff. So then I, I don't really rely on it. And then therefore I don't know if it's actually real or not. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's always difficult. The peer review journals are usually pretty good because you know they've gone through the whole editorial process it's several months of edits and discussion and before they even submit it you know they're working on the stuff for a year or two so that's where i like to go if i can but that is pretty time consuming another telltale too is something like national geographic will link to the article Mm -hmm. in the scientific journal but other news sites don't always sometimes they just kind of gloss that over and it's like "Eh, how accurate is this yep (laughs) yeah a lot of times i'll have to go through several different news sources (laughs) before i find the link to the actual article yeah and i I find myself bouncing back and forth trying to confirm the information like okay all right it seems like it's plausible now (laughs) like (laughs) yeah so i know last year you know probably the last time we had you on we talked about a lot of the the updates from 2015 like all the the cool findings and updates for dinosaurs and then so so what happened this past year is there anything from svp that you can talk about or any cool findings throughout the year yeah so i think the biggest thing from svp and it was a topic that i had researched because someone actually asked us did t-rex have lips And there were a couple articles at SVP that were presented on where they were saying, yes, theropods almost certainly had lips because literally every terrestrial living animal that has teeth has lips that cover their teeth. And that's because the saliva actually kind of repairs the teeth and it's a whole part of how your teeth kind of survive without decaying. Mm -hmm. So the idea that T-Rex had teeth poking out of the top of their mouth really doesn't make any sense it's kind of the bottom line and the only exception to it was a smilodon also known as the saber-toothed cat and i actually at svp talked to a woman named virginia naples who is an expert on smilodons and i asked her hey what do you think about lips on smilodons and she was like yeah they definitely had lips (laughs) (laughs) 
So all those pictures of Smilodons with their big teeth sticking out of the roof of their mouth, too. Not true. They oh, probably had big jowls that. hanging down, <laughs> covering their teeth. <laughs> I hate to have to change my image of these things. Man, what are you trying to tell me? Science? <laughs> yep. Science constantly changes. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough thing. I'm sure, like, with this conference even, like, the amount of stuff that comes out year after year, it's just, like, kind of backtracking on things maybe even because these yep. are the pros and they've they've gotten it wrong before but they're they're you know finding it out and testing their theories and figuring it out on the spot yeah it's all iterative and the number one thing to learn is that science is just the current state of understanding it's the best that we know right now but we know that we don't know everything so things are going to change and try not to get too entrenched and your viewpoints like dinosaurs not having feathers or t-rex having teeth sticking out because it's a real animal we don't know everything about it things are going to (laughs) change yeah i can't imagine by the amount of things that have changed in the past you know 20 30 years and where we'll be in the next 20 or 30 is going to be really interesting so you know svp what 2046 is going to be pretty interesting (laughs) yeah I mean, even just, it was only about 40 years ago when they first started thinking that dinosaurs might have even moved quickly. Before then, we figured they were all just slow, like, you know, snakes or Komodo dragons. Yeah, yeah, just barely moving around. Yeah. So, What else do you guys come across? There must have been uh, some really, really good stuff out of that conference. One of my favorites had to do with, actually two of my favorites had to do with looking at modern birds and trying to extrapolate how they behave back to dinosaurs. So one of them was on raptor feet. And by raptor, they were very quick to say, we're not talking about dinosaur raptors, we're talking about living raptors. (laughs) And that's things like falcons and hawks and other birds of prey that use their feet to attack. And it's kind of hard to define them because they actually kind of evolved in a couple different groups. But if you just define them as things that use their feet for attack rather than their beak, it's a useful place to start. And they showed these two examples of birds and how they hunt snakes. And one of them's a raptor. So the way it attacks a snake is it runs over to it and it kicks it to death. <laughs> and, and then there's another one that actually looks pretty similar. It's got the same like long spindly legs, similar size body, but it runs over to it and it just starts pecking at it. Completely different approaches. Both effective, but, but what's the best? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then if you imagine with dinosaurs, okay, now you've got something like a dromaeosaur or something that's got its hook claw sticking up, and you've got something like, I don't know, a compsognathus or something that's got a mouthful of teeth. So mm-hmm. you can imagine if you could look at these footprints or maybe even the fossilized foot of different dinosaurs, you might be able to figure out based on the dimensions of their foot hey, were they attacking with their feet or were they attacking with their mouth or possibly, you know, were they doing neither and maybe they were herbivores. So they were all looking into basically how over time the changes in their feet represent what they're eating and how we might be able to extrapolate that back to dinosaurs. Yeah, that is a really, really interesting concept because they're all, it's like a family tree, you know, there, there has to be a relation there and and they've all learned to do it from from somebody. So I kind of like to think about that because actually just, you know, viewing Jurassic Park and we know it's not, you know, accurate per se, but 
you know, looking back on the movies and you say like, all right, yeah, I actually see that they use their feet in certain circumstances. Like, mm-hmm. you know, maybe the T-Rex is, is putting its foot on the, you know, the Explorer as it's biting the tire, you know, so it's kind of like pinning it down in a way, if you think mm-hmm. about it as a, as a, you know, an enemy of sorts. And uh, <laughs> even, even the Raptors in, in Jurassic Park 3, they, they specifically use, you know, the, the claw to dig into the guy's back and, and, you know, incapacitate him. So, so there are moments in this series too, specifically that, that do kind of use that tactic along with the, just go straight for the, you know, the face and just, you know, bite. But, uh, but yeah, it is really interesting to see, you know, and to compare, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. And then another version of this was they showed this slow motion video of a Guinea fowl, which is basically like a chicken and they put it walking through mud in slow motion <laughs> and then they they watched its foot how it went through the mud and huh. that's basically because when we get these fossilized tracks from dinosaurs a lot of times they come from kind of muddy environments mm-hmm. mostly because in the fossilization process things have to get buried really quickly and the most likely place for a footprint to get buried is on somewhere like a shore where you know if there's a flood or something or even just a wave, it might be able to cover it with a different sediment and then it hardens and fossilizes. But when you're walking in mud, obviously you don't get the best impression of a foot because, you know, it gets jammed way in and then it gets yanked back out. Yeah. And when it gets yanked out, that kind of ruins the track a little bit. So they were mapping this guinea fowl walking in mud and it was just the best video of this chicken basically <laughs> walking through mud and like trying to lift its feet out oh, as it goes guy. and they, yeah. they even talked about how they use different types of mud you know with like different <laughs> you know some of it was stickier some of it was a little bit harder and easier to walk on and they actually managed to kind of map out based on how deep the foot of this chicken basically went where its foot would come back out and how that impacted the final track So we can look at these impressions and these fossils of dinosaur tracks and kind of figure out what they were up to, you know, like how their feet were moving in the sediment. Because the other really tricky thing about it is dinosaur fossilized footprints aren't always of the surface. Sometimes they're a subsurface print. So it's like if you slice through the middle of a layer where a foot got pushed into it and then got pulled back out of, it gives you an even crazier print. Um, but they came up with some really clever ways to kind of analyze how deep the feet are going. And then that helps you figure out, you know, are the would you expect to see claws if it was this type of dinosaur? Because maybe the claws go deeper than the rest of the foot does or what all the details might be in that print would tell you. Man, it just seems like such a guessing game, like kind of just <laughs> analyzing everything and just to figure it out. I think I remember you you guys talking about... Um, there was some sort of thing where you was it a interactive thing where there's a, a T-Rex or something like that and you had oh, there the was dancing. like a dance off or something like that oh, to yeah. see the like you didn't know like what it would pick or how it would do it or you know in real life how would it react like that stuff's really interesting to, to you know to try to analyze and figure out you know what were these things actually like yeah i really like the my favorites are definitely the ones where they have kind of a modern analog like you have a bird that you think behaves or walks in a similar way and you can mess with it and kind of test it in different environments 
and then try to extrapolate that back because then it's like oh yeah I, I at least have some real data i don't know how close it is to a dinosaur but at least it's something and i'm not just throwing darts at the wall and <laughs> making guesses uh, i think the best way to describe my new favorite way to think of it is there's this comic that came out and it's uh these two guys are hanging out and then all of a sudden um somebody appears and they say oh we're we've time travel we're come from the future and like we're really into spiders. Spiders are so awesome. We want to learn. That's why we, we built this time travel machine to go back in time and see what spiders were like. Can you show us? And they point to one and it's in a web and they're like, what? A spider made a web? What is this? <laughs> and is it? Oh, yeah, you're from the future. If you just saw fossils, you wouldn't see the webs. And then they think about it. They're like, oh, there's so much about dinosaurs. We have no idea. They're probably really weird. If you think yeah. about how weird birds are. Yeah, that's definitely <laughs> yeah. true. <laughs> yeah, there's so much record that you're actually missing. You don't really understand. Like you can't even grasp that concept because there's there's no living record of it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. yeah, that's a really interesting way to put it. Yeah, that's you know, if I if I was time traveling, I would never go back or just to figure out what spiders are doing. That's like my <laughs> yeah. worst. I would I would much rather go see a T-Rex. I'm probably less afraid of that than a spider. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> It's cool that you mentioned, you know, things that don't fossilize well, because another thing that was going on at SVP was kind of unique approaches to looking at fossils for evidence that we didn't even know was there going back even five or ten years. Mm -hmm. So one of those, one of the big things is melanosomes, and we might have talked about it a little bit last time, but basically melanosomes are little structures and they're the ones that give feathers pigment. They also give human hair their pigment. And based on the shape of a melanosome, you can kind of guess what color it might be. So there's one that's a certain shape that gives kind of a black color and then there's another one that's a different shape that gives a reddish color like redheaded people like me have. <laughs> <laughs> and they, there's been a debate going on about whether or not these fossils that have things that look like melanosomes on them are actually melanosomes or if they're bacteria. And hmm. there were several different people at SVP looking at different approach for different approaches for telling the difference between bacteria and melanosomes. And they used all sorts of different spectroscopy techniques. They used these things called synchrotrons, which are these huge loops that accelerate x-rays and then you can think of something like CERN like the yeah. super collider it's that kind of like <laughs> massive awesome piece of technology yeah. and then they even use like laser fluorescence but one of the cooler things that I saw was they used beta carotene antibodies beta carotene I always say beta carotene <laughs> beta carotene <laughs> antibodies and so these these antibodies, what they do is basically you take a modern bird feather and you create a bacteria that wants to eat the beta carotene on the feather. Mm-hmm. And then you take that bacteria and you throw it on a fossil and you see if it likes the, uh, the area that you think is a feather. And if it aggregates there and you shine a light on it because they also make them fluoresce. Yeah, and they're and they're all over the feather. Then you say, "Hey, it looks like we have a feather," and you're actually using this bacteria to go and like eat part of the fossil oh. in a really clever way to identify. It. It's so cool. Wow, that's I ridiculous. just love it. Speaking of these uh, these feathers uh, that we're we're hearing about, <laughs> this uh, this this is recent. It's this 
piece of amber, I guess like a chunk of amber that has a dino tail in it. Like that's insane to me. <laughs> like this is this is there's not too much information on this at the time, but um, it just popped up that there's a dinosaur tail with a you know with feathers on it. That's why I brought that up because yeah. it's encased in this amber, just like we know from Jurassic Park. Like this is like that white whale, like you were talking about. Like <laughs> this is what you want. But unfortunately, it's not ever going to produce Jurassic Park. <laughs> it's not ever going to do yeah. that. But something like this is is still like an amazing find. And it's actually like it's something that like this picture popped up of it. And I kind of just sat there. I'm like, wow, like this is incredible. Like I'm looking at something like historic, like something real. Yeah, definitely. And because of that, it's uh, I'm just looking at the National Geographic article about it. They're saying like it's the first um, – the first time you can see these well-preserved feathers in a dinosaur so then you can use that to study how they evolved basically the feathers yeah and it, are we talking non-avian dinosaur here do they think probably I, I don't know i think they said it was sparrow sized fits in like the palm of your hand uh i don't know specifically but it, whatever it is it looks like ba- basically a small chicken <laughs> interesting <laughs> yeah because they they did find it's a juvenile theropod, is what they're thinking okay. it is. Okay. Yeah. So it might be a bird. It's hard to say. But, but they yeah. don't think it could fly. Well, if it the type of feathers that they see on it are not well developed enough, and if the whole tail was covered in those, it probably wouldn't have been able to fly. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. You need these asymmetric. There's this whole feather evolution thing that people talk about too. But <laughs> they did find. Uh, I want to say a year or two. They year or two ago they found some actual dinosaur wings preserved in amber hmm. I and think I remember something like that yeah that was a really cool one but again when you only have the tail or you only have the wing <laughs> it can be pretty hard to tell which dinosaur it came from and whether or not it was flying or if it was a non-avian dinosaur but, I know right like you you have this this particle right here it's very tiny and like I, I mean, I don't know how they figured this out or how they understand what it's from, but like, really looking at it, it just looks like a mess. I don't really understand it, but <laughs> they do have some close-ups, and you see the feather structure and everything. So that's really cool, and it's just it's just interesting. Like, I don't even know what to say about it too much because there's not too much information. But the fact that this you know could be a dinosaur tail, or you know, it it almost just looks like a bird. You know, like you were saying, it just looks like a bird. Like so, it's it's yeah. funny to see that relation there. Yeah, and there's actually a few things that they can do while it's in the amber. We found out at SVP that Call there's this dinosaurs. technique called. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there, there's this technique that's called Raman spectroscopy, and it can actually work through amber. Which is really cool because like in the Jurassic Park movies when they were trying to extract DNA, you know, they had to drill into it. Mm-hmm. Most of the techniques that you want to do to figure out, oh, is this a certain kind of dinosaur involves removing some of the amber because there are bubbles in the way or you've got the feathers and you want to be able to see the bone or something like that. So we're coming up with techniques where we might be able to non-destructively tell, you know, just by looking at it and sticking it in a machine, oh, that looks like it's the tail from a... Uh, such and such dinosaur which would be really cool this every advancement in this industry is like blown me away i just don't understand how they figure this stuff out that's so crazy but i think the story 
Oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. Um, I've just been reading more about the the amber with the tail feathers. The story of how they found it is pretty crazy too. They just uh, they collected it or they they got it from a market in Myanmar that's just like a well known. They sell a bunch of amber that they make out of jewelry, and they yeah. started making this into a jewelry. I think that's where they got the bird wing ones too in that same Could market. Be. Well, it was the same team, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, which is just crazy. You just kind of stumble upon wow, almost. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, there are people that? that go out and pick up amber and then they take it to the market and sell it for jewelry. <laughs> and half the time it's like, well, not maybe not half the time, but some of the time it's these really important fossils. Oh, yeah, I like crazy. that they're actually suggesting that it's like a chestnut brown or white creature, which is cool. You kind of get a, a better idea of how this thing could look that's man that's incredible because that's one of the things like you were talking about earlier you don't know how these things look the colors and everything so man that's awesome this i could this is something like i just keep staring at and there's actually some like bugs and stuff trapped in there too so yeah pretty, uh, yeah you might as well what is that looks like a ant or something i don't know something old <laughs> something old but the, the yeah. thing is the, the every one of these articles just is tagged with jurassic park and i think it says you know, at the bottom of the article, unfortunately, the Jurassic Park answer is still a no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is. There was one uh, presentation at SVP where they went through some of the hypocryphal DNA because right after the first Jurassic Park, apparently, there were a bunch of quote-unquote scientific studies that came out saying like, oh, look, we found DNA in this like ancient thing but it turned out that it was all basically just contaminated and people were like detecting their own dna (laughs) (laughs) yeah if you're interacting with it too much yeah i'm sure you're gonna pick up your own stuff yeah they can they were surprised though recently they found out that they can actually detect proteins in some of these things which are what dna code for so it's kind of like you can get fragments of dna but you're never going to get enough of the dna that you could actually you know clone the animal that's At what the, that's the West what we African think, yeah. frogs are for. You know, you got to <laughs> fill those those sequence gaps. <laughs> yeah. I think you'd probably just end up with a frog at that point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, when you're at this uh, SVP, is there any, uh, you know, other references of Jurassic Park? I know it's like, specific to real stuff and, and, you know, more than dinosaurs. But, like, is there an overt reference to it? Or are they trying to compare too much, like you mentioned? They do. I mean... You know, in the presentation, sometimes they'll stick something up there as a comparison. So you might say something like um, there was one presentation that was about soft tissue on dromaeosaurs or really any kind of dinosaur skull because on dinosaur skulls there are these fenestra, they call them, which are basically openings in the skull. And if you analyze it the right way, you can kind of tell how many blood vessels might have been headed in that direction. And if it looks like there are more blood vessels than the animal would have needed for, say, its regular nasal passages or its muscles in the area, then those blood vessels might have been going to some kind of soft tissue display structure that was sticking out of the head. And in cases like that, you know, they'll put up a picture of paleo art of what they think it looks like. And usually they'll actually have more like commissioned paleo art but sometimes if they're just doing a a simple comparison they might put up a picture of something like jurassic park and say like well we don't think this anymore (laughs) or they might say you know 
we all know that T-Rex can run quickly and they might show a quick clip from Jurassic Park of a yeah. T-Rex running or something. So sometimes it does serve to kind of make a point because some of I mean, a lot of the things in Jurassic Park are still considered pretty valid. Mm-hmm. The main gripes with it are about, you know, the lack of feathers. There's a little bit of a, a <laughs> contentious debate about just how well dromaeosaurs um, worked in groups. So basically the only reason people think that they hunted in groups was because there was a find of a bunch of them dead together. And mm-hmm. when you find a bunch of them dead together, you think like, oh, okay, maybe they live together. That doesn't really necessarily mean they were hunting together. There are other ones that have been found all around kind of a dead animal, but they might have just all shown up there after the thing was killed. They might yeah. all be scavenging. Like you don't know what caused it. So the interpretation that raptors are definitely pack hunters is, you know, needs a little bit more support at this point. And there are other, you know, details here and there that are missing. But generally speaking, a lot of people at SVP and paleontologists everywhere talk about how Jurassic Park is what got them into dinosaurs. And if they're one generation older, a lot of times it's something more like King Kong. But for people yeah. of the younger generation, Jurassic Park is really what got people into it. So, I think the other big thing at SVP was the people popping up in the T-Rex costumes. Yeah, and that was a Jurassic <laughs> World costume, so yeah. for sure. Yeah, I think uh, in that situation, yeah, you, you can't help but you know dress up and have a little fun with it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you kind of have to. Yeah. Well, I think this... Uh, this conference sounds amazing, and I, I this is I probably should probably go out to this because I don't know nearly enough, and I think this is a good, you know, uh, tool to use to kind of learn more. And uh, but before we uh, end here, I want to get uh, some more information about you guys and let people know how they can support you and everything. And I know you guys have um, a Patreon account set up, and you can uh, people can help to kind of help you raise money for the show and everything. So tell uh, everybody a little bit about that. Yeah, so it's at I Know Dino or patreon.com slash I Know Dino. And we've got a video that kind of explains what we're all about. And we're currently trying to get to uh, a level of, of 200 a month. And then we'll send everybody who's pledged to us stickers. So we have, nice. we've made stickers of our logo. <laughs> and it's funny that you mentioned Jurassic Park and, you know, where do they show up? Because the, the logo that we use on our sticker is the Popo t-rex yeah <laughs> and so yeah i mean even in our i know dino logo you've got jurassic park influence yeah <laughs> i so, know i love that that figure yeah because it does it replicates it so well and they do they do a great job yeah definitely <laughs> but yeah so we use that uh page to post i mean obviously links to our latest episodes but also behind the scenes stuff or uh Sometimes we'll ask people for feedback or questions if they want to, if, if we have enough uh, lead time before an interview and if people want to ask certain people questions, things like that. Nice. Yeah. I think you guys are the essential podcast for finding anything about dinosaurs. So obviously everybody <laughs> listening to this is, is a huge, you know, dinosaur fan. So, so for sure, go check out, you know, their podcast, give it a listen and subscribe and, you know, do the Patreon thing and visit their website. I know dino.com, uh, support you guys. Cause I love everything you do. It's great. Thanks. Thank you. Where else can anybody else find you? Uh, the best place is our website at inodino.com. And then from there, we've got links to our Facebook or Twitter, uh, 
we're oh, we just started on Instagram. Nice. <laughs> yeah, we say we, but really it's Sabrina. <laughs> <laughs> just awful with all the social media. You'll get there. You'll catch up. <laughs> well, thank you so much for uh, joining me today, and uh, we can't make this last another year before we do it again. Definitely Bye. not. <laughs> <laughs> all right, take it easy, guys. Thanks. Thanks. Right. You too. Make sure to visit JurassicParkPodcast.com to find all our past episodes, brand new news articles, information on how to contact us, and much more. It's a great source for everything related to the podcast, and of course, Jurassic Park and Jurassic World. Head to JurassicParkPodcast.com and help us build a great community. Anybody hear that? Thanks for listening to the 82nd episode of the Jurassic Park Podcast. A huge thanks to Sabrina and Garrett. I always love catching up with them about all kinds of recent dinosaur discoveries and all the things going on in that dinosaur community. Absolutely go check out their podcast, I Know Dino, the Big Dinosaur Podcast. It features great discussion on dinosaurs every week. Be sure to find their links in our show notes. As I mentioned earlier in the opening, I'm on two podcasts this week, Creativity Talks Podcast with hosts Martin Bell and and Grim Grinning hosts, go listen to them and share the episodes around. Of course, you know I gotta mention it again. Don't forget about the promo code that we're running with the Franklin Institute for Jurassic World, the exhibition. Enter the code JWGENER for $5 off daytime adult admission tickets. Head to our website for a direct link and for more information on the promo code. Don't forget to share that code with your family and friends. Tell them where you got it and let us know when you use it. If you want to interact with us, we do most of our work over on Twitter, at Jurassic Park pod we're also on facebook at facebook.com slash jurassic park podcast and our instagram handle is at jurassic park podcast you can listen to us via itunes google play soundcloud podomatic youtube our website or wherever else podcasts are found so make sure to subscribe to automatically get new episodes every week please give us a five-star review on itunes or a great review wherever you listen to the podcast. I'm telling you guys, it will seriously help out our rankings and make it easier for fans like you to find us. Don't forget to check out JurassicParkPodcast.com for all the links you heard here today. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us with any news stories, MP3s, comments, or if you want to host a segment of your own, send them to JurassicParkPod at gmail.com or you can submit questions directly on our website contact form. You can give our voicemail line a call and leave us a message. That number is 732-825-7763. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Five minutes. Drop what you're doing and leave now.